Maybe that'll make me happy. Maybe that house, that car, that job, that person, that state. Happiness is an inside job. And happiness comes from being at peace with God. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. One of the great enemies of the believer in Jesus Christ is the lure of the world. But good news, God has given us the victory. Hi everybody, welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire and thanks for joining us this time. Today we're continuing the series, The One That Got Away, taken from the Song of Solomon. In today's message entitled, The Hour of Talk, we're going to see the world in all of its pomp, power, prosperity, and popularity. Solomon is on his way back to Jerusalem. The streets of the city are lined with cheering subjects. In this hour of talk, we see an outward show and an inward sham. This is the prison to which the Shulamite had been taken, but she resists it, and so should we. We are in this world not to be abettors of its system, but ambassadors to its conscience. Well, I can't wait to share this stirring word with you, so let's go right to part two of the message, An Hour of Talk. This is the prison to which the Shulamite had been taken, this show and this sham. But she resisted it, and so should we. We're in this world, listen to this, I love this, we're in this world not to be abettors of its system, but ambassadors to its conscience. That's what we're called to do. Not to be of it, but in it, speaking truth to it in the love of God. Next, a second member of the adoring crowd speaks up and points out Solomon's power. And here's what they say in verse 7. Look, it's Solomon's bed. That means his carriage. Surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers, we hear in that verse, power is on display. Solomon was entering the city like an oriental despot riding in style. And unlike Jesus, who entered Jerusalem riding a lowly donkey, nothing is humble and nothing is lowly about Solomon. So he can't be Christ in this story. And he is surrounded by strength. Look at that. 60 heroic men. If you notice, the world always seeks to impress its inhabitants with displays of power. You ever notice that? The world is always trying to impress us with power, authority, things. The onlookers notice heroic men and powerful weapons as well. Verse 8, all those men, they are skilled swordsmen, experienced warriors. Each wears a sword on his thigh, ready to defend the king against an attack in the night. What is that verse saying? All of their security was in earthly, worldly men, not in the shepherd. And our world's security 
is in how many nukes does a nation have? How strong is a nation's military? Let me tell you something, folks. If God turns against you, not all the armies in the world can help you. And if God is for you, not all the armies put together can take you down. The Bible says the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. But now another person, a third person speaks, and he glorified another aspect of Solomon's impressive worldly display. It's prosperity. Solomon's prosperity. Look at verses 9 and 10. King Solomon's carriage is built of wood imported from Lebanon. Its posts are silver. Its canopy is gold. Its cushions are purple. Can you imagine having in your bedroom a bed where the posts are solid silver? A lot of you would be down there at the nearest jewelry store cashing it in tomorrow. He said its canopy is made of pure beaten gold. Its cushions purple. Prosperity. Impressive materialism. Donald Trump squared. It was decorated with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Now here what we have is a tribute to the purchasing power of money. One of the gods of this world, Jesus called money the mammon of unrighteousness, and he said there's no way you can serve God and serve money at the same time. You will serve one or the other. God doesn't care if you have millions of dollars as long as the millions of dollars don't have you. God's not against money. Money's neutral. What God is against is what money can do to you if you're not wise and mature. Jesus called the mammon of unrighteousness, meaning anyone ought to say, man can't serve two gods at the same time. He will love one and hate the other or hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You serve God and make his kingdom first. And Jesus said, all these other things that Gentiles live and breathe and eat and sleep to obtain will be added to you anyway. But as long as the kingdom of God is first, and you serve him. But here's Solomon. Oh, he's impressive. He is impressive. Solomon's income was famed throughout the world. He had so much wealth that even the pots and pans in his kitchen were made of gold. And there's the verses you can look it up in. Can you imagine frying some eggs in a pan made of pure gold? But that's what he did. He had more Gold that he knew what to do with. He had so much gold, he didn't even mess with silver very much. As the world is impressed with power, it is also impressed with wealth. The crowd commented on Solomon's wealth as he strode in, or as he strode by in all of his pomp and power. They commented on his incredible wealth. They also mentioned his extravagance. He made the pillars of his bed with silver and the bottom with gold. A thousand families in Jerusalem might be starving, but he must have the best. Reminds me of someone else around today. And we're also told that his carriage was decorated with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Oh, this suggests all that is romantic. Money can buy purple and money can buy passion. But as the Beatles said, money can't buy you love. I'm not quoting the Beatles as an authority. 
Because I can point to the Bible, it says the same thing. Guess what? Money can't buy the love of the shepherd. Purple and passion, they're for sale to anybody that's got the money, but not the love of the shepherd. We love him only because he first loved us. You can't buy his love. You can't earn his love. It comes to you by sheer grace. God loved me and he loved you. You know why? Because he decided to. That's what agape means. Agape means I decide to love someone. I decide. It's not dependent. I'm being overwhelmed with an emotion. Agape love is a decision. I lo- and God decided. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what that's telling us? While we were spitting in the face of God with all of our sin, he died for the ungodly. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody has been great to me and blessed me for years on end, I don't think I'm going to die for hardly anybody I can think of. But if somebody is spitting on me and slapping me and cursing me, and then I go die for them, then something is at work that is higher than anything I can comprehend. It's the love of God. He died for us while we were yet sinners. So you can't buy his love. All you can do really is receive his love. Receive it. It's there for you. So Solomon's pomp, power, and prosperity are all admired out loud by the adoring crowd as the king passes. Oh, look at that pomp. Look at that power. Look at his wealth and riches. Look at that. But there's one other thing somebody else pipes up and mentions. That's his popularity. Verse 11 says, one of them shouts out, come out to see King Solomon, O daughters of Zion. The expression daughters of Zion, I was very surprised to discover this. That expression, daughters of Zion, occurs only here and in two passages in Isaiah. That's the only time in the Bible you will find the phrase daughters of Zion. Interestingly, Isaiah uses the phrase daughters of Zion as an expression of contempt. And let me read to you what he says about them. This is Isaiah. Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will expose their scalps. You say, what's going on there? This passage is describing morally loose, arrogant women who do not honor God, and he's using it as a metaphor for Israel. The Holy Spirit uses this passage to depict Israel at her worst. She is brazen, she is immodest, and she's flaunting her sin. And that was before they fell under judgment and were carried off into captivity. Now, I want to be up here and not down, and I'm not here to be a downer, but I got to tell you, when I read that, I see America flaunting our sin, walking arrogantly, almost double-dog daring God to judge us. No modesty, no decency, calling good evil and evil good. And what happened to Israel was when they were walking this way and he called them daughters of Zion, they were just steps away from judgment that took them away 
for decades, and they lost their land and lost it all. Now, the Holy Spirit uses this passage to depict Israel this way, and he's also using that phrase to describe the court women that were surrounding the Shulamite in Solomon's pavilion. There's no reason to believe the phrase daughters of Zion means anything but the same thing in the Song of Solomon that it meant when it came from Isaiah. They are the worldly women of Solomon's court and those who admire him as citizens of his kingdom. These are the women that admire the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and they were about as much like the Shulamite as night is from day. They are women of doubtful morals, the kind of women who would throw themselves at Solomon. The worldly shallow crowd shouting Solomon's praises see nothing wrong with these daughters of Zion throwing themselves at him. Perfect picture of a culture and a society that is dull of heart and no longer senses that sin is sin and right is right and wrong is wrong. And we're there. Oh, church, we're there. They not only admired him, but they applauded him. And can I say again, we're also there. Knowing that these things are worthy of death, Paul said in Romans 1.28, knowing that those that do these things are worthy of death, not only amen what they're doing, but applaud what they're doing. Same thing. Now, the second half of verse 11 is very telling of the character of Solomon. Chapter 3, verse 11 He wears the crown his mother gave him on his wedding day, the day of Solomon's merriment. Now, what does that tell us about Solomon? Catch this now. The man who in this book is trying to conquer the affections of the Shulamite is a married man. Hardly a type of Christ, as some try to make him in their interpretation of this book. If Solomon is a type of Christ, here's Solomon as a married man trying to seduce another woman. Don't tell me that's a type of Christ. (laughs) Yet again, the worldly crowd is so numb and so dull-hearted, they have no issue with this. They have no issue with the fact that their king, a married man who was married in front of the whole kingdom, is out trying to seduce another woman in front of their very eyes. They have no issue with it. They're dull-hearted. Their consciences are seared. Instead, they celebrate him. Are we not there today? How like our world this is where evil is celebrated and good is castigated. In the devil's world, all is upside down and inside out. You know, when I started preaching 40 years ago, this country I'm in now was a different country back then. It has happened in one generation. We're not just in a slow, gradual decline. We're in a free fall. It goes down by the hour. So what do we do? We put our arms around our shepherd and we say to him, I will not let you go. And we say to the world, you've got nothing for me. Amen. Well, let's look a bit more closely at the crown. The crowd speaks about so admiringly as we come to the close. They mention the crown. It's not the crown of the nation of Israel that Solomon is wearing. The crown mentioned is a nuptial crown not a national crown. Here's the quote, the crown wherewith his mother crowned him on the day of his espousals. He's riding into Jerusalem with all these cheering citizens, wearing the crown his mother gave him on the day he was married. 
but he's living a completely duplicitous life. The crown on his head does not betray the life he lives. All show and sham. So the crowd noted two things about the crown. This speaker that just spoke up noticed it. First, the speaker referred to the day of Solomon's marriage. He had married the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. David would never have endorsed that marriage. He would never have said, that's a good choice, son. You know why? Because Moses would not have endorsed it in the law. Moses had legislated against any marriage with a woman outside God's covenant. He told them, don't intermarry with women or with men, either way, that are not a part of the covenant I've made with you. So we hear Paul saying in the New Testament, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever for what fellowship does light have with darkness. Paul is just bringing Old Testament principles into New Testament truth. Now here's this Solomon. He's wearing the crown. He's got the show, but it's a sham. The crown he's wearing is a sham because it doesn't mean anything to him. He's not a covenant man. He's not a loyal man. You wouldn't trust him with your daughter for one minute on a bright sunny day. A marriage with an Egyptian was just the kind of worldly marriage that appealed to Solomon's political instincts. His marriage was totally political. It had been a political union, not a covenant union. The covenant meant nothing to him. Egypt is always pictured in the Bible as a type of the world. Solomon was married to the world, not to God, as were all the citizens of his kingdom. So here we have a picture. Here's this Shulamite. Now this Shulamite, who is totally dedicated to the shepherd, a picture of you and me, there she is. The shepherd is not standing next to her, She's in love with him, but he's in another place like we are right now. We love him, but we're in this world, Solomon's pavilion, and our shepherd is in heaven. We love him whom we have not yet seen, but one day he will come and take us out of Solomon's pavilion, out of this world, and carry us into glory. But until then, we have cascading and marching by in front of us all the pomp and power and prosperity and popularity of the world. And we're tempted with the same things she was. But this book wants us to understand Solomon was totally married to the world. This Shulamite was married to the shepherd. And there's two kinds of people in this world right now. Those that are married to this world and love it. And those who are in it but not of it. Two kinds of people. That's it. There's no riding the fence. Somebody said, well, I just got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and that gives me balance. Let me ask you a question. If you had one foot in a refrigerator and another foot in boiling water, would you be balanced? You'd be uncomfortable on every side. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. So, powerful message here. And here in this book, Solomon, a married man, has gathered around himself a large harem of women, so much for his ideas of marriage. 
Now, in closing, I want you to notice that the onlookers spoke about the day of his marriage being the day of his merriment. Apparently, whatever gladness he might have found in his worldly marriage quickly evaporated. You know why? Because the things of this world never satisfy long-term. They don't satisfy long-term. I'm going to marry this Egyptian woman. I'm going to be merry. He was merry that day. He wasn't merry anymore because he was always looking for happiness somewhere else. You know how you'll know you're content? You'll quit looking for happiness everywhere else. He that is content has great gain, Hebrews says. So Solomon got the Egyptian woman. Let's see, what was it? It was 1,000 wives and 700 women in the country. 1,700 women in his life, and the dude still wasn't happy. Something wrong with that picture. It's because the things of this world never satisfy. They don't deliver what they promise they can't. And he was doing the same thing here by trying to seduce the Shulamite. Maybe she'll make me happy. Maybe he'll make me happy. Maybe that'll make me happy. Maybe that house, that car, that job, that person, that state, that city, that dress, that suit, those clothes, none of it does. Happiness is an inside job. And happiness comes from being at peace with God. That's where it comes from. If you don't start there, you're not going to be happy. The Shulamite wanted none of it. She's not impressed with the pomp, power, prosperity, or popularity of worldly Solomon, and so it should be with us. The world always comes knocking with all four of those enticements, yet they cannot hold a candle to the love and fellowship of our great shepherd. Amen? Let me read something as we close. One person phrased it like this, and I liked it. Nay, world, I turn away. Though thou seem fair and good, that friendly outstretched hand of thine is stained with Jesus' blood. This world has nothing. You know, the Word of God never ceases to amaze me with its accuracy in dealing with real-life struggles that we all face in our walk with the Lord. I hope you enjoyed today's message on the lure of the world and how we can resist it to stay true to our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Join me again next time for another exciting message from our life-changing series, The One That Got Away. And now don't go anywhere. Our announcer has some exciting offers for you, our Life Talk listeners. And until next time, may God's rich blessings be yours. Isn't it great when things are a little easier? Like connecting to Life Talk Radio and Pastor Jeff on your mobile devices anywhere, anytime. Then here's great news. Now, Pastor Jeff, Life Talk Radio, and Turning Point Church are just a few clicks away with a new TPC Family app. With the new TPC Family app on your mobile phone or tablet, there are loads of helpful features to keep you connected in an easy and fun way. Watch Pastor Jeff streaming live on Sundays and Wednesdays from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Or watch on-demand videos from recent services you may have missed. Listen to Life Talk radio programs on demand, today's broadcast, or catch up on any of the great teachings from Pastor Jeff on past Life Talk programs. 
You can even help continue LifeTalk Radio's outreach and impact on the nation with the gospel by giving securely online. Now you can even text your gift to LifeTalk and the amount you would like to give to 30131. And you'll find contact information and directions to Turning Point Church, upcoming events, broadcast station listings for LifeTalk Radio, and much, much more. Plus, the new TPC Family app is free and available on Apple or Android devices. To download the new TPC Family app, simply type in the keyword TPC Family as one word with no spaces in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and get connected. So what are you waiting for? Download the free TPC Family app today and make your life a little easier. Hour of Talk is the fifth message of Pastor Jeff's series, The One That Got Away. You can own a copy of this 10-CD set for just $50 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, The One That Got Away, for only $50 plus shipping. By logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.